Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Uh, I I have titled this episode Mothering 2. We're doing a follow-up to a podcast that we posted two weeks ago where we had Molly Moker and Katz on talking about your family of origin, your mother, how mothering has influenced her, her, how she wants to be a different kind of mother. And uh, today, well, it was actually last night I was working out and I came across an interview that uh, Jane Fonda had done with Chris Wallace on CNN, and she talked about her mothering. And I want to get to that in a minute. But before I get to that, uh, in the last year, a lot of you have listened to me talk about my mother Mm -hmm. and what I had been through in the last 18 months and taking care of my mother. She had moved to Manhattan from Chicago. And I want everybody to know what that really meant, because it was, it has become to me a real sign of her grace in aging. She lived in Chicago in a high rise on the lake, which she loved. So every morning she could go out and sit on her balcony and look at the lake and have her tea or coffee. She loved living in Chicago. She loved living there. And that apartment was about 10 blocks from where she grew up. Yeah. So this is a woman who had never, other than a, a brief stay in a suburb of of, of Evanston um, and a brief stay when she had young children in the way out suburbs, she rubber banded back to Chicago. She loved that city. And her moving here was a real sort of a relinquishment of her agency, yeah. but it made it easier for my sisters, not easier for me, but it made it easier for my sisters in knowing that she was being cared for. And And I have come now that I can sort of get my head around what happened and the difficulty of her situation, I have come to a place of gratitude for I've been able that I was able to spend those eighteen months with her. Um, That's great, Marjorie. Yeah, it took some work, but it is. I I really look at the moments of what I got to experience with her, yeah. how grateful she was to me, and the sweetness of that gratitude. She was not one of those elderly people that lashed out because of her situation. She just was always telling me, which was different for her, how much she loved me and how grateful mm-hmm. she was. So that was really cool. But I say, oh, I say all of this because Marjorie, this is not the plan. Well, it's never the plan, but you know, this is what happens because this, this is free therapy. It's a, this podcast is free so, therapy. You ever go into therapy and sit down on the couch and immediately start crying? That's happened to me. That's yes. good. This is a sign that you're just letting things out. I think this is really wonderful. And this is important to talk about. You can keep talking for a moment while I catch my breath. That's what yes. I do. Catch no, no, your breath and just take a little, take a little breather because that is, as you, there was a huge weight. And I think there's just such a natural reaction. Tears come with complicated emotions. I'm like yes. really convinced that yes. 
tears happen. I mean, I think tears can happen in, in simplicity too, but more often than not, I have found particularly that I've got, when I've gotten older, that when my body like can't process in that moment, just the level of complication and the emotions, like, right. Being, feeling upset, feeling guilt, feeling probably a little bit of anger in the moment when you were like, crap, I have a lot to do. And then feeling, you know, all these things, right. it's your body's way of just being like, boop, okay, let's just release a little bit here. That's what my body's doing. And, <laughs> and I've also talked about this podcast, not in great depth, but I've alluded to it that, that my life with my mother, my childhood, and pretty much through my twenties and into my early thirties with my mother was quite complicated. Mm -hmm. She was very, she was very hard on me. And then she was also, um, but she was also hard on herself. So I think that's where that comes from. Mm -hmm. um, she had great expectations and was clear when you weren't meeting them. I like that face you just made. You grimaced <laughs> a little. You guys um, missed it. That's when the bottom mouth goes, ooh, ooh. ooh, ooh boy. And she, as I have said, was neglectful when we were children because she was so focused on becoming who she felt she was meant to be. She was a feminist. She was, she wanted very much to be successful. She'd been a very successful child model from the time she was three until she was 14. And then I think she was trying to recapture that feeling of being the center of having importance. And that's a tricky road to go down. And then all of that coincides with women trying to find their voices in the seventies. You know, she mm -hmm. was a professional working woman in the seventies. I go back over all of that again, because I've been going through all of her things. So she had wanted me to have her journals. She had wanted me to have all of her writing. She had asked that I go through it with care. Um, so I have all of it. And in the middle of one of those, she has binders and binders of essays. No um, way. Really? Oh, yeah. I When she, she had been fired from her job in her 50s, and it was really difficult because it was, you know, she, she filed an age discrimination suit. Mm -hmm. I think she was one of the first in Illinois to win an age discrimination suit. I think she, she didn't win a lot of money, but it was the principal. She was a fighter. And in the middle of all that, she's also divorcing my father. And so at the time I said to her, you should journal, you should start journaling through this. You should start writing your way through this. And it, I, I don't think like, it, this was not like a new idea to her, but we sort of bonded over the idea that this would be a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really, some of it is easy to read. Some of it's hard to read because she's, as you should be, she's very honest. There was one essay that she wrote about my family and coming, because she would come visit us often to see, she was a great grandmother. So she would come to see the kids and it's lovely. And she talks about what an honor it is to be allowed into our family. Oh, wow, Marjorie. What a progression. Right. That's I mean, beautiful. that is really fascinating. And really what a, um, I think that says a lot about you that you, even though you had, and I know you've worked on this a lot, but you had those conflicting feelings about how you were raised mm -hmm. and, and, and missed out on things that you felt like you should have had as a child that you right. then were really thoughtful about being able to deliver those things to your children as a mother, but then being able to give her the grace to allow her to have that relationship with your children. That's a big deal. It was a redo for her. Yeah, for sure. We are going to be talking about motherhood and regret and reconciliation coming up. But in all of this, so in, in seeing that, 
you know, she, it was such a beautiful sentiment of understanding what a loving, functional family looks like. I give her so much credit because in her 50s, what changed her when her life fell apart, you know, when the job that she so coveted left her, when they fired her, mm. when she and my father divorced, a lot of people don't even use those moments to understand, oh, something's gone terribly wrong here. And she went into deep therapy. To do that in your 50s, it's admirable. And it changed everything about our relationship because wow. you can't, you shouldn't, I guess I would say, or I didn't want to. I won't tell other people what to do. I wouldn't, I didn't want to turn my back on someone who was trying so hard to figure out how to be better. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and all of that. So when I was going through her things, um, there was a script in there was a script in her you know she kept so many things from her childhood my grandmother actually saved them all and then my mom kept them wow. so i found a script called the man who missed his breakfast and it was a 1944 propaganda film essentially done by the department of agriculture about the seven daily foods you need one of the beginning food triangles terrifying to me <laughs> terrifying I, I sent you the link but it was about a little family and how they were going to eat properly and this was done in 1944 so it was also about how this helps the war effort like it is your duty as a citizen to eat properly and to be healthy and strong that's true I like that okay yeah. I'm, now, I'm turning a corner on this propaganda so my mom was cast as Penny oh my god in this movie. So I ran upstairs, I had the script and I see my grandmother's writing. So, you know, there's a little penny and then my grandmother had written Mary next to it, my mom's name. So I ran upstairs to Ian. This is such a dumb question. I'm like, oh my God, do you think we could ever find this? So we just Googled it, the man who missed his <laughs> breakfast and there it was. And so we pulled it up and I will tell you, there was something. So there's my mom at like yeah. age eight acting. She's a decent little actress. Wild. But it was her and it was her little. Yeah. And I just thought about like what a gift I have to see my mom who was 88 when she passed. Mm -hmm. Nobody has really has home movies from 1944 no. that are a full production. You know, it's beautifully lit. And I just, just to see her, I mean, of course I started crying, but just to see her and to see this is a time where she sort of oddly at that age, whether she was seven, eight or nine, felt on top of the world. Mm -hmm. She's a little girl in a movie and it's, you know, a propaganda film. But I mean, imagine what that would have felt like. It was a job. She was working. Yeah. And that was so much about what defined my mom was working. Am I a success at what I'm doing? And in all of that, a little bit came the sacrifice of family. Which brings us to Jane Fonda. Thank you for listening. <laughs> that was amazing. That's it's, incredible. Yeah. That's really incredible. You're also really good at sharing stories. Did you know that? I mean, you're a broadcaster and a producer, but like it was really, I have I've been riveted the entire time as I've been listening to that because well, the tears help. Well, the tears, <laughs> the tears are are good and um and cathartic. Yeah, they are. It's interesting. And now I know we're gonna move on to Jane Fonda, which I'm I'm very much looking forward to because now I really can understand why this interview with Jane Fonda resonated so deeply with you. But as I was thinking about your mother and as you were telling me about 
the the job leaving her, the marriage leaving her. I think about the roles that I play in my life. There are three major roles, right, in my life at this point. And it is, I am a worker bee. So my career, I am a wife, I am a mother. Those are like, those are the three, there are other roles too, but those are certainly the three most time-consuming, the, the roles that I think take the most energy of mine, the roles that I worry about if I'm doing right. well or not. You know, right. I don't worry really as much if I'm being like a good sister or a good daughter. I think I am those things, you right. know, the, the three major roles are like the big thing. And I can't imagine what that was like for your mom to realize that two were gone yeah. and one was precarious at best. And then to really have that moment of like, holy S balls, like Mm -hmm. I, if I'm going, I've lost two and you know, let's be clear. Like I'm sure you're, it's not like she lost the marriage with your father. You know, that's like a complicated, they both lost it, but those things were gone then. I mean, and and those are significant ways that we define ourselves and sing and significant ways in terms of, we see what our contribution is to the world is through those roles. And so now we've got two thirds are gone. One is hanging in the balance. And to really take that step back and go, I got to make a change here is quite remarkable. And then for you to really like throughout this whole process, to be able to step back and see your mother as a whole person and not just your mother, not just the role that she played, but consistently to look at her and give her the grace that an entire person deserves, I think is so incredible and commendable. And it also reminds me that like attaching yourself so closely to the roles that you play is very tricky. And I work, it's a daily practice for me to constantly remind myself, I've been doing this since I was in my very early twenties, constantly practicing that I am not what I do. I am not what I do, that I am, I am. And then what I do is in addition to that, but right. does not define who I am. And, right. um, and so then oddly, it makes me feel kind of good about that practice. These are all the things that are happening in my brain. This is no, but I think it's, there's so much wrapped up in the death of a parent and there's yes. so much wrapped up in, and I don't think that I would be thinking as much about it, obviously, had I not lived through the end with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived through her regrets. I lived through, we had the honest conversations, but we had been having them for 20 years. I mean, she and I, when she went back to therapy, she and I, and and I won't speak for my sisters, but I think I knew more of my mom's secrets than anybody else. You know, it helps that I'm married to somebody who digs. My husband is all emotion. So you can't have an inauthentic relationship with him. If, no. if you're going to be my husband's friend, he's going to hug you. He's going to ask you personal questions. He's going to give you career advice. He's going to, I mean, he's going to be 100% in your way, in your business all the time. And I so love when, it. in order to have a relationship with my mom, that's what, that's where a lot of that came from. So I have great gratitude to him as well, because I think I am proud of who I was with her, but I think he also modeled that for me in mm-hmm. being more open armed toward her and a little bit more forgiving and also in the idea of getting to actually know her because he wanted to know her and mm-hmm. so in him asking so many questions mm-hmm. um i think 
it, it allowed me to see her sort of through his eyes. And then, you know, and it, it was not, it was not perfection, but it was real and it was authentic. And so forgiveness could come because she could finally get real and be honest, yeah. but it was hard. There were still things that she would say where I would, you know, we had bought the house next door for her. And so we would have dinner with her every night. She would say things like, and I may have mentioned this before, where she would say things like, yeah, you know, my mother really stopped when you were five. Yeah. I think we talked about that. And it yeah. was like, my five-year-old wants to scream yeah. and have a tantrum and say, yeah, it's exactly that attitude that made my life really freaking hard. Right. And then to make her sort of pay for that, really want to lash out and make, make her pay for that sort of insensitivity. Because mm-hmm. she was trying to be funny. She was just trying yeah. to be funny. But it hurts you. But it's but it's hurtful because of the truth of it. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, you want to. And so I would just say, got to go. And I would just go away for a while and then I would come back and then I could and then I could talk about it with a sense of humor as well. And then we could get through that, that what she had said and why. And I would say to her, most people think mothering sort of goes on the whole time your kids are alive. Yeah, and pretty I mean, much she, the whole time. Yeah. And she knew that, but it would, it would be things like that, which had that grain of truth, which I don't think when she was here, she meant it to be hurtful. I think it was her way of deflection. It was her way of processing because in times of real sobriety, and I mean that in the sense, not that she was drunk, but just in really looking at her life in a very sober way, she would she would apologize in so many different ways, just yeah. clearly say, I'm so sorry, I was a bad mother. And then as we started this podcast, we were going to talk about Jane Fonda and she is such an interesting woman. I don't expect that a lot of you that are listening know the sort of the depth of her history. But if you've never really done a deep dive on Jane Fonda and all the different periods of her life, she's a fascinating woman and Mm -hmm. she's done some extraordinary things. She has been married to some really fascinating men as well. So it's worth a deep dive, which we won't do here, other than to say, if you've never watched on Golden Pond, 1981. Have you ever watched it? Oh, yeah, I've watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a long a, time ago. Yeah, it's a beautiful story about a father daughter relationship. Yeah. Um, and so that that's sort of where the interview started was uh, Chris Wallace was talking about her relationship with Henry Fonda, who's a very famous actor. And he was cold and Midwestern and remote and was not in touch with his emotions. And so they talked a little bit about that. And then she goes on to say, she was revealing that she had some parenting regrets about the kind of mother she was to her children. And these are the quotes from Jane Fonda. She said, I was not the kind of mother that I wished I had been to my children. She told Wallace, I have great, great children, talented, smart, and I just didn't know how to do it. And this is an aside. When I lived in Atlanta, she was also living in Atlanta and she had started an organization. So I I went to see her speak a couple of times and she had started an organization for teen mothers. Teen pregnancy in Georgia was through the roof in the 90s. And so she had started this organization. She was very active. It It was great. And so I would go hear her speak about it. This is what she's referring to in that. She said, I've studied parenting and I know what it's supposed to be now because much of what her organization does is teaching these young women how to be good parents. She said, I didn't know then, so I'm trying to show up now. She went on, and then this article goes on to say, in a 2017 interview with fellow actress Brie Larson, Fonda had shared a similar sentiment. She said, I regret that I wasn't a better parent. I didn't know how to do it, she said, but you can learn. So I studied how to be a parent. It's never too late. 
I'm trying to make up for what I didn't know before. She finished um, that thought by saying how important family relationships are. She said, when I die, I want my family to be around me. She said, I want them to love me and I have to earn that. And I'm still working at it. Wow. And I think that's, that's really what hit me is when I was thinking about my mom, is she spent from 50 to 88 earning it. She really, and, I, and so when we talk about regret, and you, you so, you know, you already alluded to the fact that you think of yourself sort of, husband, you know, as a wife, as a, you know, a worker, and mm-hmm. as a mother. And I, I would say all of those three things are important. But you can never forget the humans that you're forming. And I, you know, I think being married is important. I do. Yeah. But of the three, I just think parenting's the most important. There are other people who disagree with that, that will say, you know, it's, you know, got to put your husband first. You got to put, I, I don't know. I think, I don't, I don't think there should even be a first between the husband and the wife. Like, I think that the, if you're, to me, if you're parenting well, your husband would never want to be first. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? And I think that's probably a kind of a controversial thing to say. I think that makes sense. I think it totally makes sense. And I've thought a lot about that because, um, you know, like Jay and I used to have these conversations about having kids and we'd be like, when we have kids, it's going to be us against them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're going to be, we're going to be a team all the time. And you know, the reality is that that's just, it's not true. And it doesn't mean that, I mean, that relationship is super important, but the priority together should be the kids. And the reality of it is, I mean, I've said this before and, and I really stand by it that I don't believe that there is a true unconditional love other than the, than the love that you feel for your child. If you're in like a healthy headspace, right? I mean, if you have, if you're, if you're mentally ill or you're incapable, I mean, these are different things, but that, unconditional love. Like my child could never do something that would make me not love them. My husband could do something that would make me not love him. That's just at the core. And if that's controversial to you, that's okay. If you hear that and you're like, that's not in line with my beliefs. I mean, that I feel very okay with you disagreeing with me in my life. That's what I, that's, that's sort of what I stand by at its core. And that's also how I get like that about how I feel like your, your relationship, your marriage shouldn't be, you know, how I get about like saying that your husband is your best friend. Like it's just, just because it's different doesn't mean that it's less than it just is different. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to actively work to love my child. I have to actively work to love my husband. Like that's, that's a choice that I make every day. I don't make that choice with my children. That is an instinctual animalistic the way that we were created in order to serve the greater humankind is right. to cherish our children, to love our children, to protect our children. That's priority number one when it comes to the species. So that's just kind of where I come down on that stuff. And I think you saying that is the ideal. And this is what makes you a great mother. Well, the reality is that a lot of mothers don't necessarily feel that way. Right. Right. And I think I think that that's what was so interesting to me about what Jane Fonda said. Mm-hmm. She had so much stuff of her own to work out. And if you do a deep dive, you'll 
she's very open about all of her, um, all of the things she had to overcome as a human being. And that's part of what made her not a great mother is she Mm -hmm. was trying to reconcile other things. She was trying, you know, she was chasing her career. She was chasing her father. She was chasing male love. She was chasing the male gaze. You know, all of these other things she was doing made her probably a very complicated mother. And I think when I think about motherhood and, you know, we had such great conversation with Molly and so many people who listen to us or who 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 like this podcast i hope are in conversation with the people around them about motherhood mm-hmm. and i just from the other side of it having lived through a full lifetime relationship with my own mother and now having adult children i would have to say that knowing that they're good men probably is one of the things that i am most proud of because it's one of the things I'm most invested in. Now, my children, you know, are not perfect. N- nobody's are, but they know that they are. They would be the first to tell you that they were well-loved. Yeah. And I think when you have kids, before you have kids, make sure that you're really ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Make sure of the pieces that you're willing to give up of yourselves that you're ready to give those up because it's just so hard to have been a child that has spent so much of my adulthood trying to reconcile my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And you just don't want to do that with your kids. That's regret. And I think that's my mother was my mother's regret Mm -hmm. is watching her four, four daughters who outwardly, and I won't speak for my sisters, my sisters are all, you know, outwardly super successful. Beyond that, all of us have had to deal with our own issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that was difficult for her mm-hmm. because you can't, you can't ignore that. You can't, you cannot escape your culpability in that equation. I am a big believer that people older than myself have wisdom. And the wisdom is if you're going to have kids, it's way harder than it looks. And it takes a lot of time and it takes yeah. a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of sacrifice. And that's the reality of motherhood. It's not about escaping your kids. It's not about ignoring your kids. It's not about drinking wine to get through it. You drink it. Well, sometimes it is, but it shouldn't be. (laughs) I mean, there's an ideal that I'm speaking of. I mean, we all fall. We all, I mean, we, I think our third podcast, remember Elizabeth was about our regrets, our mothering regrets, and we were both crying. I know, I know. So, but. Oh, Marjorie, I adore you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And thank you for bringing in that perspective. Well, I don't know if it's clear and I don't it's, know if it's judgmental. No, but what it be. is, you know, the theme of our radio show, which will continue on to this podcast, consistently inconsistent. Consistent. Yeah. That was one of my favorite taglines of ours. That was really good. <laughs> we did a good job with the taglines. <laughs> we did. We love you, Nesters. Thank you so we much did. for being part of these conversations and for being a safe space for us to land. We hope that you feel that way too. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are the podcast that brings you home. Bye, darling.